you think you've come here to record a podcast. But in reality, this is an interrogation. Mr. Anderson. You've come here for an interrogation. You've come here because we know what you've been doing online. Tell me, do you know what the Matrix is? Perhaps I do, but I've got a better idea. How about I give you the finger and you give me my phone call? Hmm. Well, hello. I am Agent Kraft. I am Agent Zweebelman. I'm Agent Conversi. I am Agent M. Sullivan. And I'm Joseph Rennick. <laughs> Joseph Rennick Anderson. Well, since I'm technically the host of this, maybe not anymore since I guess agents have hacked the network. Uh, <laughs> today we're, uh, we're talking about The Matrix Resurrections, a movie nobody really saw coming. And then Lana Wachowski was just like, hey, I'm going to make a fourth one. It's finally here and we're all ready to talk about it. <clears throat> yes, we are. Gonna talk like oh, that the game. whole time. Well, I'll start with the first question here. Uh, as I mentioned, this is directed by uh, Lana Wachowski, who is a very interesting filmmaker. And more often than not, she's uh, teamed up with her sister Lily, but not for this project. I believe due to like being overwhelmed and having family traumas, she decided to pass on this. But I gotta ask everybody in the chat. I, I, I think they're interesting filmmakers to talk about, and let's try to refrain from talking about the first Matrix as much as possible, because I know we're gonna want to do a podcast on that at some point in the future. What are your thoughts on uh, directors Lana and Lily Wachowski? What do you think of their style? Why don't we go with Mr. Conversi? Or Agent Conversi? <laughs> Affirmative. Well, I guess I'll start by saying I guess I'll start by saying I wish I liked them a lot more than I do. Now don't get me wrong, I they have some really strong highs and I really respect them. Like as far as you know, the big blockbuster directors of you know the past twenty years ago, they gotta be up there for me for like as far as like respect goes for just like how like daring they can be and like how they really do try and push the envelope every time. These people these are people who really do care about um saying like interesting things to be fair i guess i can't say anything too definitive since i haven't seen everything like i haven't seen, i still haven't had a chance to see bound i haven't watched sense8 i've not seen jupiter ascending for better or for worse <laughs> for better yeah i think i love the matrix i admire the first two sequels um you know they don't work all that well for me as a whole i haven't seen cloud atlas since high school but i really 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 loved it at the time i grant I feel like it's at best a dime in the rough from what I remember of it. Like, I feel like it like, really drops the ball in some cases. My feelings on that movie perfectly encapsulate my feelings on the Wachowskis in general. Like, really daring, really high highs, but, oh, man, it's just, there's some messy stuff in there. Like Tanner, I think Speed Racer might be my favorite movie of theirs. It's the only other movie of theirs besides The Matrix I know of where I feel like everything they're trying to do, I feel like they um, achieve well, like, artistically. It's, I'm angry, I'm sad, every other negative emotion for the fact that the Wachowskis are the only ones we have to be weird and interesting in the blockbuster scene. Also, they're very horny um, in their movies, which is, is definitely refreshing. In today's sexless blockbuster scene? There can be a puritanical edge to American movies, I feel like, sometimes. I'm starting to run out of steam, so I'll, I'll let it go to our fellow agents. Uh, why don't we go with Agent Sullivan? I think I've seen the same set of movies... I would personally say, out of those, the original Matrix is my favorite of those. 
I do enjoy basically what they do with all their movies as far as I've seen, though. They have a very, like, particular style to them. They're able to really capture these really fascinating worlds. Um, at some point, I need to check out their other films like Jupiter Ascending, Bound, Sense8. Unfortunately, because uh, Lana Solo directed this film, there's apparently a guild rule that kind of prevents them from co-directing again. They can do it. They just can't be credited properly. Um, Happened to the Coens for like 15 years. I don't think they were properly credited as the Coen brothers until like the Big Lebowski. Which is unfortunate. um, And hopefully they'll eventually be able to work past that because I think that as a team, they can make some really interesting films. Yeah, I guess that's my two cents on them as directors. Uh, All right. I'm going to hijack. Can can you please raise your hand if you've seen Bound? Damn. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So since he's just kind of continue to talk uh we'll go with agent craft i was curious because everyone's like i haven't seen bound and i was like who has is bound good joe it's actually really good yeah i hear nothing but great things about it that is their only pre-matrix movie right let me give you a quick rundown because they wanted to make the matrix first but they needed to prove that they could make a movie so they submitted three screenplays one was assassins which was directed by richard donner Apparently they're not happy with it. I've not seen it. That they're not the biggest fans of it. But it gave us the uh, the gif of Antonio Banderas doing this or whatever, like leading oh, back. The- yeah, that's where that's Thank from. Thank you, Lana and Lily, for giving us that. Thank you. Matrix One and Bounder, like they're only two universally liked movies, as far as I'm aware. And it's honestly kind of astonishing that The Matrix is their second movie. It's really interesting because usually when you see directors go from, like, to get, like, some indie director who's made, like, a $2 million movie and then plot them into a $150 million movie and expect them to, like, be able to, like, make the jump well and, like, be able to have a creative voice to handle that responsibility well and not just be a yes man. The fact that the Wachowskis were able to, like, make that leap is just amazing. The first Matrix is the Wachowskis through and through. I'm not going to get into that, though, as Joe asked. They're hit or miss. But for me, I think way more hits than misses. The only Wachowskis movies I think I would outright say I dislike instead of like are uh, The Matrix Revolutions. And even then, I have a lot of stuff, nice things to say about it. Like the third act, Agent Smith versus Neophyte, where they're all flying and it looks really awesome in the rain. Like, I love that. It's just the... However many minutes before that, I'm not the biggest fan of. (laughs) There's like a 45-minute battle for Zion that I honestly consider pointless. And uh, like Rain, like Rain was saying, my favorite Wachowskis movie is Speed Racer. If you want to adapt an anime into a live action, that's how you do it. It takes advantage of the live action medium to do its own spin on it. And it's ridiculous and over the top in a very intentional, good way. But at the same time, it feels very grounded in the emotional storytelling. It looks ridiculous in the visuals, but that's just big and bombastic and colorful. But at the core, the human emotions are really simple and really incredibly well executed. That five minute final race sequence never fails to make me cry every time I watch it. Uh, We will do that someday for the podcast, probably next year, as it is my favorite movie of 2008. Yes, that's right. I like it more than The Dark Knight. Fight me. After that, I remember loving Cloud Atlas in high school. I'm a bit afraid to revisit it now, considering all of the uh, elements on it that I I know have probably (laughs) aged poorly (laughs) and maybe weren't that good at the time either. Yeah. But I think I'll give it a shot someday. Uh, My biggest hurdle is just, God damn, that movie's long. Isn't it like two hours and 40-something minutes? It's literally like 10 minutes away from being three hours. Yeah, it's a long movie. And then Jupiter Ascending is the only movie of theirs that I just 
I no, don't like it. Eddie Redmayne sure is doing something in it though. That's funny. I don't know what the hell it is, but it's entertaining. Uh, and then, I haven't seen Sense8, uh, but I've heard nothing but great things, and Austin threatens to kill me every time I say I haven't seen it. <laughs> I have an ex who thinks it's the worst show ever. I'm gonna make you tell me later. That's all I know about it. That's good to know. Agent Zweebelman, how about you? You're the last one to go before me. I would say the best thing the Wachowskis have ever been involved with is Ninja Assassin. To break a little bit from the crowd here. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, didn't they produce that? I did not know they were involved. I feel like you just made that up, and I'm being gaslit right now. <laughs> it stars an actor uh, named Rain, and I've been angry. What the fuck is Ninja Assassin? I've never heard of this before in my life. It's like a guy who fights people. Ninja Assassin was directed by the uh, the second unit director of Matrix 2 and 3, who also directed V for Vendetta, ah. which the Wachowskis wrote. Oh, I forgot they were associated with V for Vendetta. Ugh. The Wachowskis are very much a product of their time, like the dream of what a Generation X cool kid set out to be from like a grunge music reality bites standpoint. Like, it's amazing yeah. to think how much these two influenced the internet a long time ago between the Matrix movies and V for Vendetta. Like, every time you see a crappy 4chan red pill thread or the hacker group Anonymous, it's all Wachowski's, you know, visions that they gave to the world. Uh, but speaking kind of about the internet, like, their career in film sort of mirrors the quality and development of the internet itself. Like, back in the 1990s Usenet Wild West days, they made Bound in the Matrix. And then in the weird-ass sort of MySpace decade we call the odds, uh, they made V for Vendetta and Speed Racer, which uh, Speed Racer's like a personal favorite of everyone here. Um, but then you get to, like, the iPhone era, where everybody decided to throw their anonymity out the window and see who could be fastest to give all their private data away online. And it's sort of like that broke the Wachowskis. The internet became nine apps and the world became six corporations. And then they made Jupiter Ascending and Cloud Atlas. What was it? I know, like, every film student my age spent, like, a long time in 2015 watching YouTube videos about how bad Jupiter Ascending was. Uh, I was there. Right note, though, they made Sense8 during that period, and it's a delightful show that's mostly just a pansexual pride parade about how hot empathy is. Not to mention a tremendous feat from a production standpoint, because it's filmed in, like, 27 different countries every season, which is nuts. To me, the Wachowskis are kind of like the embodiment of a Gen X stereotype. They have a scene in Sense8 where all the characters across all their different continents unite together singing uh, the Four Non Blonde song, What's Up? That stated, I appreciate their hippie bullshit because it's like every generation, uh, Gen X also got stuff right. Like philosophy is cool. They got that right. Although we these days try to translate and simplify it more than the Gen X filmmakers did. Bonkers CGI worlds are cool, although we've grown to mix it more with practical when possible. Plastering a whole film with LGBTQ characters is cool. We've just grown to treat it less like a big fuck you to the man and more like a they're here and they happen to be queer kind of thing. If there's anything that could sum it up, I like that they're filmmakers with a distinct style that shows up in everything they make. Hell yeah. Okay, my turn. I love the Wachowskis. Uh, they're some of my favorite filmmakers. I think they're geniuses personally, but that's besides the point. They practically like changed the landscape of film with that first Matrix movie and have uh, tried to continue to do it since. And unfortunately... At least from my perspective, I don't think the world was ready for a lot of them, because re remember when the Wachowskis directed two sequels to, like, 
their most beloved film. And not only that, but they shot cutscenes for a video game that would release like around the same time as the second movie. And also helped write the MMO. They made like a whole animated thing that just continued to explain right. like the deep lore of it and also like tie into the sequels. You ever think about how insane that is? The Matrix <laughs> as like a gigantic media property that only lasted for like two years is very fascinating to me. Like, it burned right. itself out quickly, and I'm, I'm glad it's back, but, you know. They have, like, these bold, bold visions. They take big, big swings. The, the only movie that's ever found, like, a wide audience at, at this point is The Matrix, and everything else has found, like, a small pocket of, like, just huge, devoted fans. Speed Racer's kind of beginning to grow out of the exception because more and more people are discovering it and are like, okay, this is actually really good. I actually really like Cloud Atlas. I've seen it recently. Certain things aside, I mean, there is an explanation for it. It's still a bit iffy, but... A bit iffy is an understatement. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit of an understatement, but... (laughs) I I genuinely think it's one of their masterpieces. Only thing of theirs that just does not work for me at all is Jupiter Ascending, and that's just because they had, like, this huge deep lore that just really is not explained at all the best in the final product. But I mean, it looks cool. It feels like Lana was like, hey, I want to make this with my sister. I want to make what feels like a YA adaptation, but make it original. Because it feels like something that would be based off of a YA novel, right? Yes. It even sounds like a YA novel. The title. Yeah, I honestly thought it was at first. Anything that has like a a string of bullcrap words just next to each other to sound cool, it's either a Mission Impossible movie or a young adult novel. (laughs) Still haven't seen uh, Sense8, and my friend Tatiana's going to kill me for admitting this because she's been trying to get me to watch that show for a while. But yeah, outside of Jupiter Ascending, I love all their stuff. I love their style. I love their big swings. I love pretty much everything about them. So when it was announced that they'd be going back to The Matrix 4 and knowing the Wachowskis as filmmakers, that kind of got me excited because I knew they wouldn't take the uh, the traditional route, or well, at least I know Lana wouldn't, so that kind of leads me into my next question. Uh, expectations. What were everyone's thoughts going into this one? We're going to start with Agent Zwiebelman. Let's go with him first. I thought this was going to be the shit Honestly, every time I saw trailer one for The Matrix 4, my day got better. That first trailer is a work of art, and I'll hear hear nothing else. The viral marketing was really cool. I expected this to be a badass return to form. I was extremely excited for this movie. Excellent. Agent Sullivan, you go next. I would definitely agree that uh, the trailer was pretty sweet. Um, It definitely had, like, a vibe that was different, but, like, it definitely felt, like, faithful to the originals and um it felt like it was going to be a really fun movie uh one subtle detail that i noticed in the trailer that uh really made me interested was that at the very end of the trailer the font that they use for the text is the font from the original ghost in the shell movie and uh, it's pretty widely known that uh ghost in the shell was one of the big influence on the original matrix so i thought that that was an interesting little um homage that they snuck in there and that kind of made me interested to see where we'd be going with this one agent conversi you're next 
until the trailer dropped and I was just, you know, just going off of vibes and just expectations, I was really, um, there was a part of me that was worried this was just going to be Force Awakens, but with a Matrix um, paint job. But with the Trachowskis winning the Wachowskis, I assumed that that would really only happen if they were just being like, I don't know, like they were just like forced to do this. Like they had no other interest otherwise. I assumed it was going to be kind of like a fun, uh, interesting mess. That was my more realistic expectation. And then the trailer, the first trailer dropped and it was, I like to pretend that I can't uh, be suckered in by cool looking commercials, but it was a cool looking commercial. We don't use that word in here. You corporate commercials won't trick me. I am a smart man. It worked its magic, the the music swelling, the, the use of cuts, it, the shot choice. Yeah, it, it worked on me. Um, so then I was excited. Hell yeah. Agent Craft, go. Similar to Rain, before the first trailer dropped, I was just like, it might be cool, I guess. Jupiter Ascending wasn't that great, so I don't know what the hell they can do. And there's only one of them this time, so that's kind of weird and interesting. But Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss were interested in coming back, so that must be for some, worth something at least. And then that first trailer dropped, and, and Joe was living at me with the t- at the time when the first trailer dropped. We got up early to watch it. We did. Because we knew it was dropping at 7 a.m., so we went up, got up early to watch it. And... That first trailer was amazing. It blew my mind thinking, wow, it took them this long to use White Rabbit for one of these movies. I feel like that was such a gimme before. And so I was getting real excited, but I wanted to moderate my hype a little bit. Then the second trailer came out, and dare I say it, I think the second trailer was better than the first one. The second trailer just got me even more excited. There's a very specific moment in the trailer with John Groff's Agent Smith, where he goes, Mr. Anderson! And it cuts back and forth between Hugo Reeving and Jonathan Groff yelling it. That gave me chills. My hype started going into, like, overdrive at that point. I went, this movie's gonna blow my mind, and then this is where I get to have fun. I know someone who worked on the movie. He had seen the entire movie beforehand, so he told me things about it that I didn't want to believe that later turned out to be true. Like, the action scenes are really underwhelming. It's way more romance-heavy than the first three movies, and it's way more comedic than the first three movies. And I went, ah, this guy's bullshitting me. He didn't really work on the movie. And then the early reactions and reviews started coming out, and I went, oh my god, he wasn't lying. So I tempered it a little bit. And uh, I can't tell you what I think. Uh, Joe Vrenick won't let me. I'm in his dungeon. Please, please help me out. You're going to imprison me after I just got free. I know it doesn't seem fair. Yeah, no, you can't say anything yet. So keep your mouth shut. I don't know why I'm doing a hand gesture. Now it's my turn. As I did mention, yeah, I was really excited. I remember the day that it was like announced actually that a Matrix 4 was happening and immediately like several questions came to my mind. Like, what does a Matrix movie look like without Lily Wachowski? How the fuck are uh, Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss back? What does this mean? Wait, Hugo Weaving dropped out because of scheduling conflicts? What is going on here? had all of these questions, and yet I trusted Lana Wachowski, because knowing kind of, like, her sensibilities and just, like, how she makes movies, there is clearly a reason for it. So I was like, okay, I trust you. Let's see where this goes. And then that first trailer dropped. As Tanner mentioned, we got up early to watch it. My mind was blown. I think I watched that thing hundreds of times, 
we had it on repeat for a while even. Isn't that right, Tanner? Yeah, I'm pretty sure like I would play it at least three times a day when you were around. Yeah. <laughs> and you you would you would no joke like, all right, I'm going to look up a video. You just start playing the Matrix trailer. <laughs> Remember when my dad came over and before I let him leave after movie night, I said, hold on, you got to see the Matrix trailer. <laughs> I do remember that. I don't even remember what movie we watched, but I think it was Moneyball. We, we watched that trailer so many times to the point where I was just like, OK, this is all I need. I, I am hyped. I want to go in knowing as little as possible because I want to be surprised by what's to come. And thankfully, I was able to do that despite going to No Way Home and having the second trailer play for me. <laughs> I was able to forget, thank God, because it was the only time I had watched it. And I just kind of let it die out of my mind because, oh, hey, Toby and Andrew are back. That, that That's that's just going to be on my brain for a while. The only thing that I remembered from that trailer was I still know Kung Fu. And I'm just like, you know what? Of all the things to just remember, that's that's fine. That's such a trailer line, too. You mentioned trailer lines. Uh, I think back to the first movie and how, like, the unfortunately no one can be told what the Matrix is. That is such a trailer line. The Wachowskis are really good at that. <laughs> now that we've talked about expectations and how we felt about all the promotional stuff going in, uh, let's get to the actual movie. What did everyone think of Matrix Resurrections? We'll start with Agent Kraft. We'll go with him first. Oh, screw me. <laughs> okay. Um, I think if I wanted to sum it up concisely, I think the best way I can describe it is that the first hour and the last 30 minutes of this movie are absolutely incredible, gobsmackingly brilliant. That hour that rests between that first hour and last 30 minutes, ooh, that is a very rough patch. Thankfully, the first hour and the last 30 minutes are so, so brilliant that it ultimately makes up it up for me. I, I gave it like four stars, leaning on three and a half, honestly, but I ultimately decided on four stars because I definitively had a very good time watching it in the theater opening night with my dad. But there was this dude next to me in the theater who was very excited at the start, and I could just hear his happiness drain as the movie went on, uh, which was very funny to watch in real time. How, like, by the end of the movie, he was like, so that that happened, I guess. Um, cool. Overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think in terms of, like, the really strong bits, I love the meta commentary of the first hour or so. I think all that stuff's really interesting and kind of like, whoa. Uh, I think this is Keanu Reeves' best turn as Neo in terms of performance. It helps that this is arguably the most he's being given to do in the role, but I think it's his best turn as the character. I think Carrie Ann Moss steals every scene that she's in and really just steps back into that role perfectly. Uh, I like Candyman as the new Morpheus. That's really fun. What a, what a year he's had for playing legacy characters, right? Right. <laughs> With a few exceptions, I think a lot of the action scenes are just bad. Not even like, oh, it's kind of weak. I think a lot of them are just straight up bad. Thankfully, uh, the Smith versus Neo fight in the middle and the final, con like when it turns into a zombie movie out of nowhere at the end, I think those two set pieces really work. But then there's the fight right before the Smith and Neo one with the Medra, the French guy, and I don't even pretend to know how to say his name. The Merovingian. The, the Merovingian. The Merovingian. With the, the fight with the Merovingian. I, I'm not even joking. When I watched it in the theater, I thought I was having a stroke. I was genuinely <laughs> terrified I was having a stroke because I could not tell 
what was happening for the life of me. The Merovingian just kept like mumbling things to himself. And I'm like, am I supposed to understand what he's saying? Is he talking French? I don't know what's going on. I think the outside of the Matrix stuff is really interesting. I like that the humans and machines seem to have kind of bonded. Neil Patrick Harris steals every single scene he's in. Honestly, I think he's my favorite part of the movie is Neil Patrick Harris. There's a scene in the middle with a horrible slow-mo effect that I do not like at all, but he in it is so great. It's just a gigantic exposition dump, but the only reason it works for me is because Neil Patrick Harris is just so perfect in this part that it manages to tie it all together. I like Groff's take as Agent Smith, though I will admit, I think I get why why Lana wanted Hugo back. I think it would have been more impactful if at the end you see Hugo Weaving helping Neo instead of just some guy that played King George on Broadway. Overall, I like it. I think some people, I'm not naming names, are overhyping it a little bit, but I also think a lot of other people are hating it. But more importantly, my biggest takeaway from the movie is when the credits started rolling and I hear, hey, wait a minute, this is that Rage Against the Machine song and there's horns. And then the woman started thinking, I went, oh my God, this is the band that pissed on that dude in the NASCAR race a few weeks ago. Like, what the hell? This was the exact same song they were performing too. What? Punk rock as fuck. It's also a bad cover. (laughs) It's just a really bad cover. (laughs) Why are the guitars so muted? God. All right. Mr. Conversi, Agent Conversi, sorry. Yeah. I'm not an agent. Yeah, I liked it. How much? It's hard to say. Um... I need to, like, rewatch it again before I can, like, have, like, a definitive take on any of this. But currently, the meta stuff was very... I don't want to say it was lampshady, but, like, it felt pretty... I don't know, like... Okay, I get you're your, your commenting on how annoying it is how every blockbuster is just a copy-paste of The Force Awakens, but with their IP they own. But it's, like, you're also doing that, kind of? I don't know, it could be, like, oh, man, doesn't it suck when you're just using old iconography and then they literally play scenes in the movie? And then I can I can work with that if it's like to some greater end. It's like oh I'm I'm you're very frustrated with how um, tired modern blockbusters are. But then the result should be to then do something different and interesting instead of to just uh, keep lampshading. I was still still admire the movie in opposition slight opposition to Tanner. I thought the action was more just mediocre for me than straight up bad, with the exception of the Merovingian fight, which it was like, how did you forget to do any of this? And then the criticism that, like, it's bad on purpose, That's I just don't think it defense. goes far enough. <laughs> on paper, it can kind of make sense, because it's like, it's them criticizing, like, an FU to people who just want to watch these movies for the action. It's not doing this stuff to a greater purpose, it's just letting out frustration at best, I feel like. To me, it'd be stronger if it didn't have action scenes, if that's what they were going for. The big thing that's really, um, that kept me into really straight up enjoying the movie is that it really kept a really simple, um, straightforward focus, which I think the, uh, sequels lack. Even though I think the sequels had higher highs for me, this, um, was able to be more consistently, um, better as just a single story than Reloaded or Revolutions. The character work, along with the performances, I think was pretty solid overall. Yeah, and then the direction with, uh, Neo and Trinity, them as sort of, like, a dual, like, their relationship being the one almost. It, that worked for me, to be honest. I could see people getting upset with that, but I, it worked for me. Neil Patrick Harris, yeah, I think this might be his best performance I've seen from him, period. It's either this or Herod and yeah. Kumar. <laughs> 
Unironically, those are his two best performances. It is very impressive how much this movie makes me care about Trinity and Neil's love when, quite frankly, that was such a whatever thing in the original trilogy for me. They managed to make it work so much better in this one that it is genuinely impressive. And the romance in in all the movies, um, even the first one, I thought, like, it was good enough. Like, it got the point across, like, if you've ever been in love, then it's like, oh, you can just insert your face over their faces or whatever. But it didn't really work on any, a level deeper than that for me, at least. Like, I wasn't invested in them specifically. But in this, I was invested in them specifically. We're going to move on to, I got two of you left. We're going to go Agent Sweebelman. Go. This movie sort of reminds me of a less elegant version of Birdman. Both movies feature, like, a lead actor from a wildly profitable blockbuster franchise thingy coming back into a world that's sort of aware of what that actor used to be to us. The audience... And all the characters seem to be kind of like exaggerated versions of the actors portraying them or, you know, types in show business. And they both use the main characters flying as sort of a thing the plot hinges on. I have a hypothesis that this movie is going to be a sort of trailblazer for meta films based exclusively off blockbuster franchises. Well, kind of like how the original Matrix was a trailblazer for cyberpunk films. It's more on-the-nose and sort of drawn-out version of that line that's in all the remakes. Why use old code to mirror something new? I don't know. Why would we remake old crap, you know? It's like it's one line in 21 Jump Street. You see, the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity and are completely out of ideas. And now, after this, people might have the bright idea, let's make an entire plot beat about how cynical a remake is. Or how, you know, the fan base of the originals would react and all that. I think this might alter the the landscape. Watching sort of all the struggle that existed um, outside the Matrix in former Zion and IO reminded me of actual leftists. Like you could actually have Jesus on your side and still kick each other's asses harder than uh, harder than you'd expect. Maybe there's no foundation to the rumors that you disappeared because you were working with the machines from the beginning. Morpheus, stop. Pain. Oh. The names of the robots made me want to die. Uh, Sebebe, Octocles, and Luminate with an eight. Why? Kill me. Uh, the scene in the bathroom where Morpheus strolls out of the stall is an excellent Candyman reference. It, <laughs> it's it's hilarious that the Matrix is featured in a planet in Space Jam 2 and that this has a character named Bugs. Warner Brothers kind of sticking their head in. I saw a picture that called this free guy for theater kids, and I think that's fairly on point. <laughs> <laughs> it actually kind of is. I, I think that since you often analyze the Matrix, since the directors kind of, uh, you know, put their hand in the ring as like a thing with the queer lens and being about transness, I think having the evolved villain be a therapist who's being antagonistic is actually pretty brilliant. Uh, considering, you know, that, that that kind of thing would be totally destructive if you're like a young trans person. Uh, and also, like, on that therapist level, um, uh, the performance is great, of course, but it sort of reminds me of that thing everyone keeps saying with, like, low sci-fi and high sci-fi, how if you're trying to mimic the real world, it's more like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and less like Orwell's 1984. I think they made a cool thing where the old Matrix was 1984. It was trying to brutalize you. And in this new one, they have like Neil Patrick Harris's monologue about how people don't get out of their pods. They like it here. The best part, zero resistance. People stay in their pods happier than pigs in shit. 
You know, I think they did the evolution from old Matrix to new Matrix pretty well. And then other than that, it's basically the same as Tanner. I, I love the meta stuff in the first hour. I think the ending's cool. And then the stuff in the Matrix, I think if you're rewatching the movie in the future, just fast forward through that, you'll have a better time. Those are my thoughts. I, I do think it's interesting you bring up the queer themes because I saw a really great tweet today talking about how I think it is a very intentional decision that Neo and Trinity are the only ones who can see their true selves. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. when they look at each other, they see their true selves, not the fake identity that everyone else sees. Absolutely perfect. Right. All right. Agent Sullivan, go. I like the ideas presented in the movie, but then just as a movie, a lot of times I'm just not vibing with it, I guess. Um, it's kind of like what they were saying. Uh, like, first hour's great, uh, ends pretty solid. There's just a lot of dragging. And I do like the movie as just basically... Lana Wachowski giving the studio the finger saying, fuck you, the Matrix is mine, you're not going to take it from me. I'm sure you can understand why our beloved parent company, Warner Brothers, has decided to make a sequel to the trilogy. One? Yeah, there's just like a lot of stuff that I just, I didn't really enjoy that much. Like a lot of the fight stuff was not as good as the other ones. For what the movie's trying to do, I do like understand kind of the choice of casting the Agent Smith uh, guy as just like this basically um, a Silicon Valley douche bro type. I think it works for like what the movie's trying to do, but man, I just, I miss Hugo Weaving. What can I say? He's, he's very charismatic in a very like specific way. And that's a big part of what made the other three Matrix movies like really enjoyable to watch was his performance. It's kind of like what you guys were talking about on the Spider-Man cast with uh, Willem Dafoe. Like he has a very specific energy that you don't really see anymore. That uh, that that was a big part of like, I'm, I'm not that big on Marvel, but just seeing Willem Dafoe in that movie was incredible. I think that Hugo Weaving could have brought that kind of energy, but I mean, if schedule conflicts happen, it is what it is. Overall, I, I mixed feelings on the movie. Like, I enjoy aspects of it. I think some things could have been more enjoyable for me personally. I don't think it's a bad movie. I just, it's not my favorite of the Matrixes. This is not over yet. I will sequel franchise spin-off. All right. Fair, fair. I'm ready for the love fest, baby. Give it to us, Brennick. All right. So I'm saving it for last. I'm probably the one out of everyone here that liked it the most. Are there complaints about it that I can understand? Yeah, absolutely. The Merovingian fight. I mean, his presence in general, I don't think really worked, unfortunately. And I like that character. His stuff didn't work. The action in that scene up until Smith and Neo have their little fight in the basement really did not work. And I think part of the problem is the location. Just narrow hallways and stairs. There's not a lot of room for them to work in. So, yeah, outside of that, though, I loved it. As I said on Letterboxd, uh, fuck you, this movie rules. Where do I begin? Um <laughs> There's a lot of big swings that Lana takes in this, particularly at Reboots and at Warner Brothers specifically, that I I personally think work. I think it's probably the most punk rock she's been since the first Matrix, and I'm glad that that's in a movie. It's great to see Keanu Reeves just 
fits so naturally into this role and actually do something kind of different with the role of Neo in this one. I, I don't think I've ever seen Keanu Reeves play someone with severe anxiety, and I was just like, I feel that, man, I feel that. Um, <laughs> Carrie Ann Moss uh, just came back and was just, it, it was like, putting a, a really nice shoe back on that you've not worn in a while and it's just like if it's perfectly my name is trinity and you better take your hands off of me we've all said it neil patrick harris steals the show his performance is uh legend wait for it dairy it's gonna be legend wait for it and I hope you're not lactose intolerant because the second half of that word is dairy. Yes, I went there. I don't fucking care. I want to talk about the uh, the middle portion that everybody's been kind of poo-pooing on. I get it. It's definitely the slower bit. That being said, I only get like really like super nerdy about like certain things and it's deep lore. The Matrix is one of them. So just seeing like a whole expansion of that, just kind of like right in the middle, that was really exciting for me. Just seeing what happened within like 60 years since uh, Trinity and Neo died, which that was an interesting take, having them died 60 years ago as opposed to 20. It's also just nice to see Jada Pinkett Smith back because uh, I actually like that character and I've played that video game. Yeah, no, I really loved it. And there were plenty of moments that I absolutely loved. So we're going to move on to the next question. Uh, favorite moments. Uh, what, what were some of your guys' favorite moments? We're going to start with Agent Zweebelman. Go. My favorite moment's very easy. It's when Agent Smith popped up and killed the analyst. That was very gratifying for me for some reason. I thought that was awesome. I felt it in my chest. Hell yeah. Agent Kraft, go. A close tie between the Smith v. Neo rematch, which I thought was really fun and engaging and probably had the best choreography in the entire movie. And then when Trinity flew, uh, mm. not going to lie, a little choked up when Trinity started flying. Excellent. Tim, go. Uh, Agent Sullivan. Sorry. God, don't misname me. Jeez. Um. <laughs> isn't, isn't it supposed to be the agents that do that, yeah. though? Goodbye, Mr. Anderson. My name is Neo. Yeah, yeah, you're, 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 you're flipping the book. Uh, anyway, I think the scene that really sticks out to me the most, and this is actually the scene I just rewatched before this recording, is the scene where uh, Neil Patrick Harris basically comes up and uh, does like the slow motion thing and uh, basically explains what's been going on. Like, that was such a good moment where you suddenly have this great performance from this character who's just kind of been on the sideline up until that point. And, uh, man, he's just such a better villain in this movie than the Agent Smith copycat guy. That was just such a great, like, monologue bit, too. It was just uh, very good. One quick bit that I actually want to add about that Neil Patrick Harris scene. I actually really liked that, despite it uh, making me feel nauseous, what they did with the camera in that. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that little um, for me. bit. I just thought it looked bad. It reminded me of Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> My favorite moment uh, in the entire film is... They're in Simulate, having their big fight there. Firstly, love the name Simulate, but they're having the big fight in Simulate, and they've finally awoken Trinity. <clears throat> and it's that big moment where all the SWAT cops and policemen and agents are just, like, piling up on top of them, and they're just struggling to just, like, reach for each other. It 
perfectly encapsulates uh, the type of themes that Lana and Lily Wachowski like incorporate into their movies. Because, like I said in, in the Eternals cast, <laughs> uh, there are hippies who made the best, like the most badass action movie ever. But then everything they make after love conquers all in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote down just kind of a feeling that I had um, <clears throat> with that scene, and because that's the scene in the movie that made me cry. Uh, I'll just read it out here. Uh, Try to imagine having difficulties, nay, struggling to fight for what you love for a very long time, and then right on the verge of everything being lost and all for nothing, everything goes correctly and harmony is once again found. Now try to imagine a more realistic version of that and not having the happy ending you want to have happen. Yes, that's why it hits home right now, but goddamn, I want to believe and maybe it'll give me some hope down the line and I'm kind of choking up right now. throw up the counter (laughs) so that's uh where i'm wrapping it up on final thoughts all right so it's time for uh tanner's trivia corner (laughs) um not tanner's trivia corner there's a glitch in the matrix mr anderson (laughs) i turn into tanner (laughs) no it's uh it's joseph's trivia corner um as stated before hugo weaving had planned to reprise his role as agent smith but had to turn it down to due to scheduling conflicts with his theater work. Lawrence Fishburne told Collider Movie News he was not in this Matrix movie when questioned. He replied that someone would have to ask Lana Wachowski because he didn't have an answer for that. Turns out it's because he's dead like he was in the MMO. Yeah, man died for his faith, which is like the most Morpheus thing ever. Oh, the guy named Chad, Trinity's uh, fake husband. Uh, that's a funny little Easter egg because that uh, that guy is uh, Chad Stahelski. He directed the John Wick movies with Keanu Reeves. But if you want to really dig deep into it, he was Keanu Reeves' stunt double for the Matrix trilogy. Hey. He's it's a just a beautiful meta. It's it's very beautiful meta and. Hey, he can kind of act for what little he was given. This is the first Matrix film that does not feature cinematography by Bill Pope, nor a score by Don Davis, which I'll actually kind of admit that not having Don Davis was kind of a missed opportunity, but I think he's like retired, so... The first Matrix movie to not be produced by Joel Silver, a.k.a. the producer of Die Hard. Under the code name uh, Project Ice Cream, the film began production in San Francisco on February 4th, 2020. Uh, I just think that's a funny little uh, production title. Mm-hmm. I cannot pronounce this name for the life of me. Bugs' ship that they're on in the real world. Um, in Greek mythology is uh, the Muse of Memory, um, as well as the Mother of Muses. Yeah, that's pretty much it for uh, trivia on Matrix Resurrections. Uh, final thoughts, you guys. We'll start with Agent Craft. Mr. Anderson, you have done a sufficient job hosting this podcast about a movie I rather enjoyed. And I may have some flaws with it, but I most certainly think it's worth seeing, and it breaks my heart to see it bomb as hard as it is at the box office. The second movie that I really, really fucking love, and I'm hosting it, and it bombs at the box office. Sorry, Suicide Squad. Project Popcorn's almost over. This shouldn't happen anymore. Or at least if it does, right. the answer won't be HBO Max. Right. Yeah. Uh, Agent Sullivan, you go next. Good. Good movie. Uh, I have some issues with it, um, but I, I, you know, I, there are things about it that I enjoy, and it has some interesting stuff conceptually. All right. Agent Conversi. Um, I feel like I've explained my thoughts well enough. I'll just uh, end with a, one little tidbit. As uh, my hot take is, world building is the most um, overrated 
um, literary um, term idea in the past 10 years. But even with that being said, I really like the world building in this movie. Like the idea that the machines like had their own civil war over the um, over the morality of using humans um, as labor or as batteries. I think that was super cool. And then having IO just as a city, everything about that. Great. Rain is lampshading himself. He must be deleted. Agent uh, Zweebelman, you're next. It was fun to see all these characters come back. I'm happy with the ending they gave it. Some parts of it are boring, but who cares? This is real life. You can fast forward through it. But we'll always have those good parts forever now. Hell yeah. My final thoughts are, yeah, no, I loved it. There's no way that this is going to get a sequel. Um, Even if it did, I would have been hyped for it. Um, Hell, I would just be hyped for another Animatrix. Hell, I honestly wish that they would make another Animatrix for, uh, like, all the stuff that's happened since the third movie, but whatever. I, I got Matrix 4 and I was very satisfied with it and if that's where everything ends, you know what? They, they ended it as good as they could. And that wraps up our podcast on The Matrix Resurrections. Thank you all so, so much for watching. Uh, go ahead, give us a like down there. If uh, you liked us, hit the subscribe button. If you love us, hit the bell icon so that you know when the videos come out. Leave a comment down below. What do you think of the Matrix Resurrections? Uh, what are your favorite moments? Uh, would you want to see an Animatrix 2? Let us know down below. Um, check us out on all of our audio platforms, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts. Go to the link tree. You'll find us all down there. Uh, nobody ever promotes the Patreon, so I'm going to promote it right here. Check out the Patreon. Next week, we are doing... My second favorite movie of 2020. Tick, 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 boom. We're doing tick, tick, boom. Yeah, be sure to check that out um, at some point. Also, stay tuned for a bonus cast on The Animatrix coming out hopefully sometime soon. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you all for watching. We'll, uh, we'll see you all later. Farewell. Mr. Anderson!